0: everyone and welcome to this scouting report and our Wednesday special with Neil Stratton. Before we jump in, let me remind you to check out yesterday's player report, safety out of Florida State, Jamie Robinson. Really fun player. I think a number of defensive coordinators in the NFL are going to have a plan for this guy. His report, along with all the others, are available on iTunes, Podbean, really wherever you can find podcasts. Head over to Twitter, find me at RightStepADV, leave me comments, notes, and what future content you want to hear. Don't want to waste any more time, though, because we have plenty to talk about today. Today's guest, Neil Stratton, runs a website and service called Inside the League, along with being a big part of the leadership for the College Gridiron Showcase. We will dive into both of these topics today, but I'll let Neil talk specifics. So, Neil Stratton, welcome to the podcast.
1: Roger, thanks for having me on, buddy. Uh, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, it's uh, – man, so obviously two topics today. Um, really, obviously they're connected. It's all football. Um, and really, obviously you're working with agents. You're working with, uh, you know, players and, you know, schools as far as the CGS goes. But let's start with your background, uh, playing history. How did you get into the football world?
1: Well, as far as my playing history, Roderick um, – you know, I was not that accomplished. I was always a big guy. Um, I'm Today I'm probably about 6'4 and about 235. And so you know, when you go to the Naval Academy, which is where I went, where I started off my college career in the late 80s, you know, they weren't having a lot of success. So they weren't going to turn away someone like that if I'm walking on. Um, so I walked on and played outside linebacker there for a year, never saw the field. I was really a practice field meet. I, I, you know, I, I tell people I was probably – back then – Navy was not the team that it kind of has become over the last 10 to 15 years where it's kind of constantly in bowl consideration and what have you. But back then, it was really a struggle for us. And I always tell people I was probably the worst player on the worst team in the nation uh, the year that I played. So don't get any misconceptions about me being some kind of super stud football player. That was not me. I was not real twitchy. I was not real athletic. I was just a big guy, big lump that they could roll out there, uh, you know, and run. Plays at on you know, scout team, what have you? So my scout, my playing career is nothing special, but I love being part of a team. I love the camaraderie. I love all the things, all the elements that you know, everyone loves about the game and being part of a team. And so that never left my blood. So by the time I finally graduated from college, uh, it was it took me <laughs> seven and a half years because I, I was there. I was at Navy for four, then kind of had to start over and wind up pursuing journalism and so by the time I got out I still had football in my blood but I didn't really know what direction I wanted to go and so I kind of got into newspapers and I did that for a while and then I moved to Houston in 1998 I believe it was and uh, almost immediately when I got to Houston uh, I met a girl whose fiance wanted to be the next Mel Kuper Jr. and I used to tell the story 10 years ago people automatically knew who Mel Kuper was now I guess I would have to say something like Todd McShay or mm. uh yeah, Mike Mayock or whatever. But anyway, the point is he wanted to ha- start a draft guide. So we did. And so for four years, we did a draft guide. And this is when the internet was the, – the, the needle was pointing up. And print, the needle was pointing way, way down. And so uh, we did a print product for four years with four editions annually and wound up stacking up a lot of them up in our garage and kind of taking turns, spending money on publishing – a guy that really wasn't going anywhere. Um, but along the way, I started going to all star games and meeting people and coming to understand the big role that people off the field played in the game. And at that time, you know, you were starting to hear a lot about being an agent and the business of the game. And you know, at that time, you know, NFL teams were moving and big stadiums were starting to be built in the college level. And we were starting to see the fractures in the conferences and what have you that were mostly forced by money. And so the business of the game was becoming a lot bigger. And I was certainly not accomplished or sourced enough to really be able to talk about everything related to the game and related to money. But I did feel like if I got in in the ground floor of things, that I could really start working with agents and maybe provide a service to them that no one else was providing. Uh, This was in 2002 when we launched ITL, and I did a lot of market research, I thought, and really kind of thought I got a good handle on what agents were looking for and what have you, and at the time, there were about 1,500, so I thought, you know, if I could get 10% of that and get them to pay about $300 a year, that'd be a pretty good chunk starting off, and so, like I said, I did all my market research, I got my website built and all those kind of things, and on... Labor Day weekend of 2002, I flipped the switch, and And I, I've told this story in a lot of other podcasts. But that night I was I slept restlessly because I was afraid that we were going to swamp the servers and everything was going to crash because we were going to get so many people that were going to sign up on the first day. And we wound up getting two, and I think on the second day, one of them wanted his money back. So it was not a fast start for ITL, but I had a few things working against me. At the time, the idea when you were providing content was you just throw all your content out there and then you get a bunch of advertisers and you're click-driven and you hope to make your money back on clicks and that kind of thing. I went in a different direction. I mean, I was trying to make this my profession almost immediately and I thought that I had created something that no one else was doing and so there'd be this wide demand for the content I was providing. So we started off charging twenty five bucks a month. It was going to be a nine month subscriber cycle, and we were going to charge, I believe it was $300, 350 or two fifty, I think, for the for for a nine month subscriber cycle. Well, after we got off to such a slow start, I slashed prices and we cut it back to forty five bucks for a nine month cycle. And for the first four or five years, we kind of grew and made some progress, but it didn't look like it was ever really going to take off for me. So uh, long story short, I got hired by the Hula Bowl to run the personnel side of the game in 2007. And so I kind of gleefully shuttered ITL thinking I would never worry about it again. It had served its purpose and it got me to the Hula Bowl. and I'd run that game for 20 years and then retired to Hawaii and the rest is history. And it didn't work out that way. The Hula Bowl collapsed underneath my feet after, one season there the hula bowl is back now and it's being run very capably by a friend of mine damon talbot but at the time it was a very different landscape and so it collapsed and so i came home 32 years old i think um is that right gosh i don't know it's been a while it was i was in my mid-30s or so and i didn't have a scouting background and even though I love player evaluation and so I realized that I was not going to be able to work for a team and I wasn't going to be able to be an agent. I didn't think I had the resources for that. So I really only had one option that was to resume ITL, And I did that kind of kicking and screaming after my wife more or less confronted me and said, listen, you got to give this another shot. You didn't really give it a proper one last time the, in its previous incarnation, pre Hoolable, I was trying to make it kind of half fan driven and half business driven. I did mock drafts and I did player rankings and all the kind of things that you can find on thousands of different websites and, and mm-hmm. all over social media now. But I was afraid to really go in that one direction that no one else was going and to really be truly unique and not have that kind of appeal to fans that I thought would help make the site profitable. And so when I came back, I shoved all that aside. I said, listen, I'm going to do only one thing and I'm going to charge what I initially was planning on charging, which was 25 bucks a month. And so we relaunched in the fall of 08, I guess it was. Um, again, so not much not much excitement, not much more excitement than we did in 2002, but and in fact, there was quite a bit of emotion, I should say, because people were outraged that I was charging twenty-five bucks a month, whereas I was charging 45 for the year previously. Mm-hmm. And also, I was going to a 12-month subscriber cycle rather than a 9-month subscriber cycle. I had no idea what I was going to publish in the summers, but I was going to do it. I was going to figure it out in hopes that people would stick around, you know, and I could kind of keep things going. At the time, I hadn't done anything with the agent exam and... So it was a very different service from then. But we came back and we slowly started regaining our market share and we slowly started figuring out, you know, kind of what people needed. And so now, uh, my gosh, what is that? Uh, Here, here, we're almost 14, we're 14, 15 years later. I'm not good at math. We've got quite a few things that we try to reach out to people with, that we appeal to people with. About five years ago, I began to realize that there wasn't anyone really servicing the scouting industry either. And we had, I I don't want to say that we had topped out on the agent industry, but we had certainly, I think, found our rhythm as far as, and and, and established our template as far as what that was going to look like regarding um, how ITL is going to service the agent industry. And so we I started looking more at the scouting industry and started tracking the moves and started being a little bit more proactive on Twitter about what I put out there, the hiring and firing and what have you. And then it was in 2018 that for the first time we did our NFL draft, best NFL draft award. And that was something where we kind of surveyed active scouts to, to find out which one, which ones thought, you know, who, which team they thought did the best. And then since then, we added the BART list, which is top 10 scouts, both conferences, again, as voted on by scouts themselves. And so we are trying to do more and more with the industry. We have also done a salary survey to try to help people kind of know what, they, what others are getting paid, maybe what they should be paid. And so we're trying to kind of embrace that industry. I think that scouting business is one of the more unsung parts of the game certainly one that's got still got a lot of mystery and intrigue to it and is very appealing to a lot of people uh, both inside and outside the business and so we've really tried to service that that side of the business and really tried to honor and respect and bring more acclaim to those people who i feel like are very a very interesting and integral part of the industry so here we are in 2022 we have the mothership inside the league which is if you decide to come aboard, then we track you know the industry inside and out for $29.95 a month. But if you don't have that kind of a budget, we have a, a blog, uh, which is Succeed in Football, which I try to aim at people who are starting out in the, in the business, trying to give them, I don't know, advice on the game, how they can kind of break in, that kind of thing. We have something called the Friday Wrap, which is our newsletter on Fridays, which is pretty widely read within the industry. We have about 5,000 people. That's scouts, executives, agents, marketing people, trainers, parents of players, and others interested in the business that read us weekly. And and then of course, we have a number of different events uh, related to the game. We have a seminar at the combine, which I've already uh, mentioned. And we have, we're the leader in agent exam prep. We have a very, very vibrant practice with that, which really gets revved up, especially in June and then July is crazy. We have two practice exams, a study guide, and we also have a video series that we uh, in, that we added this year, which have all been pretty popular. And so uh, with the results coming out last Friday, we've been kind of reaching out to our people that use our services and have been pretty encouraged by their success rate. Uh, we'll have to, uh, I haven't got all the responses back yet, but um, hopefully we'll continue to get some good news. But uh, that's what Inside Leak has become. I mean, we're, uh, I think, I guess we're at year 21, 22 maybe. And uh, it has been a very slow build, but I do feel like we have some momentum now. And hopefully we're making a difference for people who are either in the industry or trying to get into the industry.
0: Yeah, without question. I know just uh, speaking specifically, coming from the scouting world, like you said, it is a uh, mysterious um, field where even being in the scouting world, they're... Are secrets there are things that certain teams don't want out there there's things that scouting staffs don't share and so having having a source like inside the league um is again one of those things i was in the nfl for you know five years a little over five years and really started to you know pay more attention to inside the league later one of those things i wish i would have done um earlier on but absolutely a huge resource for scouts as they're coming through it um well, let's segue to, uh, like you said, the agent exams just got done. So um, what is, what is a passing rate overall for the agent exam?
1: Well, in a normal year, we were seeing a, at about 45% passing rate. Last year was a little lower than that. Uh, last year was the first year they went all online and we saw it dropped to around 35 to 40%, even a little bit lower this year. Time will tell. Um, I'm not sure if they'll have a a better passing rate. It was the second year of it being online only. Based on what we, the information we've been able to get, looks like we're a little over 50% on the people that use our stuff to take the exam. Prior to it going online, we were steadily at about a 70 to 75% rate of our people passing over the 45% that kind of at large passed. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like this year. The big issue this year, Roderick, and, and anyone who kind of follows ITL or, or reads our newsletter knows, there were major technical in, uh, yep. issues with the proctoring service and a lot of kind of outrageous stories I've heard from people who are taking the exam. And you know, the NFLPA wanted to ensure that security was, was good and that no one was cheating, and I get that. But I think there was some kind of, I guess I'll call them abuses of the people taking the exam with respect to how the proctoring service did things. And I I think we'll, we will, I would not be surprised to see a new proctoring service next year for the exam. We have counted 22, I think, people who were unable to sit for the exam solely due to technical issues. And I would guess that probably double that are probably more accurate as to how many people have uh, were actually unable to do it. And that probably represents 10 to 15% of the, the people, the number of people that actually took the exam. And to me, that's a pretty big number when yeah. you consider that this is something that you paid, you, know, you paid 2,500 to take the exam. And if you pass it another 2,500 to get licensed and get your insurance and what have you. Yeah. So um, that's kind of an embarrassment, kind of a smudge on the uh, the picture when it comes to the NFLPA, what have you. And hopefully they'll be able to correct that and rectify it. It's just tough because a lot of people come in and take the exam predicated on, they've got a brother, they've got a kid, they coach some pop Warner, they've got someone else that they know that's going to be draft eligible in the coming year. And that's the only reason they're taking the exam. And then once they, you know, and then once this happens, then they're put off for a year. There are people that were put off last year due to technical issues. Some I think I know of at least one who's been put off two years in a row now,
0: wow. strictly
1: due to technical issues. And so hopefully the PA will be able to get its act to get a little bit better because it's been a real uh, – just a real – put the uh, player association in a negative light um, given how many struggles, so many well-meaning people who really prepared for this and really studied and really worked hard to achieve a lifelong, lifelong dream weren't able to do it for matters that you know that were completely out of their hands.
0: Yeah. Yeah, certainly something the NFLPA has got to get cleaned up. So let's speak specifically to these agents. They've, you know, it's been a year, it's been two years. Most of them have probably been doing some kind of recruiting. Like you said, they know somebody, know somebody's brother, anything like that. So they passed the exam. They just got the good news. Um, Now they're trying to get these players signed. They're trying to get players committed through the fall what is the biggest piece of advice for all these agents that just pass their exam? What are you telling them?
1: That's easy. Uh, you know, when you, when you come into the exam and again, no faults of their own, but the NFLPA has this in, in the summer and then, then agents don't get their result until sometime in September. Then they've got to pay their dues and have everything up to date by the, by October one. And, by virtue of that, a lot of agents feel like they're way behind the process because you know, people started, the agents who are already certified began recruiting players that will be in the 23 draft literally in February yep. of this year. So, but I feel that it's critical to sign someone your first year. Even if it's the backup punter at, you know, local university, you got to sign someone because this is the biggest learn by doing job that you'll ever see. And it's an incredibly challenging job. And if you don't get out there and find out what a player's expectations are and what his parents' expectations are and what it's like to get that 1 a.m. phone call and what it's like to find out on draft that your kid's not only not going to get drafted, but he may not even go to a rookie minicamp. And all those things that are very difficult but have to be done to kind of mature as a contract advisor are an essential part of the process and if you're a new agent if you're an old agent for that matter you're going to get bombed by people starting in december and really reaching a crescendo in january from players that feel like they should have an agent but don't have one and and these a lot of these players don't have a good handle on what they should expect and some are a little entitled and they're all thinking well if I can just find someone that will pay for my training for eight weeks, then, you know, that person will get me into the league and, 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 you know, everything will work out perfectly and everyone will live happily ever after. And that's not the case. It's a lot more complicated than that, obviously. But a lot of, especially first-year agents, who are a little intimidated by the uh, recruiting process and maybe don't feel like they understand the way it should go and what have you, they just kind of fall into that, well, I'll wait for someone to call me. And being an agent, you want to be the one recruiting, not being recruited. But the facts are, especially, again, if you're a first-year guy, you're going to have people that are going to call you and sort through the ones that seem like the best ones and take your best shot and sign one of them and set a budget. Make sure that you stick to that budget and try to be as accommodating as you can while at the same time managing expectations, and go through the draft cycle so that you'll know what it's like because you don't want year two to be your rookie year because, as you know, Roderick, you have three years, three draft classes to get at least a player on a 90-man roster, which is a camp roster, basically. And if you can't do that in three years, then you're out. And that's a bitter pill to swallow because people that come to this game, more often than not, are, are pretty accomplished one way or another. Even if they're young, they've done things. They're all, they all have a secondary degree. You have to have that just to sit for the exam. They're not used to failure, and you don't want to fail at this. You want, you want to succeed. Uh, I mean, working in football, Roderick, and I think you would agree, I certainly feel, to some degree it's an addiction. I mean, I always tell people no one walks out of the game. They're all, they're all carried out on their shield. And many times that's due to litigation. Many times it's due to bankruptcy. Sometimes it's divorce. Sometimes, sometimes it's all three. It's just really hard to turn your back on this business so you want to get in and start learning everything you can as quickly as you can and that's why I think it's smart again to sign at least one player and probably one or two two or three maybe in your first year so you can kind of get that first year out of the way and really figure out what it is that you need to learn and there are certain things you can do to enhance your chances of success as a rookie agent even if you got someone that calls you mean every year there are players that make it 53. That called their agent and talked their agent into signing them and then you know, good things happen. And that's what we work with with our clients with is how to know what to do, what to look for, all those kind of things that really kind of enhance your chances of success.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. There's, you know, Just to your, your point about working. The NFL is obviously, you know, the biggest, the most successful, you know, professional sport now. And it's, I mean, anybody that's been a part of like, you know, like you said with your playing career, anybody that's been a part of the team understands that there is that it, it is emotional, it is it is addicting, it is how the adrenaline, it is um, it's it's hard to describe. There's not many things like it. And, you know, it, it keeps, you know, lawyers, attorneys. You know, freelancer, journalist, you name it, they're going to be, you know, trying to get a piece and be a part of some kind of football in whatever way they can be. So, um, perfect. no, that's perfect. So, one of the things that we've seen really, uh, we saw it a couple of times here kind of throughout the summer bigger agencies continue to get bigger, continue to add the good agents from other agencies, um, you know, kind of eat up some of the small guys, as you would say. So, Um, For some of these, again, first time agents um, or smaller agencies that are uh, maybe not the, you know, the big ones that you hear about week in and week out. How do these smaller agencies and agents continue to compete against the big guys?
1: Well, I think you start off small and try to put one foot in front of the other and be smart about it. Hold to a budget, as we've already kind of discussed. Recruit the right areas. Recruit the right positions do all the things that are sound business practices when you're starting out and make sure that you, and build a success. And and I think it's really important. And I get this a lot from second year agents. They go through year one, they kind of get beat up. They went in really fired up and excited and kind of having a perception of how things will go. And then they find out that it's pretty different from what they expected. And so they come to me in year two and say, Hey, look, how can I hook on with a bigger agency? The truth is bigger agencies don't want to talk to you. They've got a line a mile long of people that want to come to them, that want to work for them for free, and promise how much they're how hard they're going to work and all those kinds of things that are understandable for people that are still trying to figure things out. And and the key to this industry, I think it's like the key to any industry, and I use this up as an example. Back in '98 or '99, when we first when my, my friend and I first started, what led to ITL, which is called Lone Star Football. My friend Troy and I, our goal was, hey, we just want to get hired by an NFL team. You know, 20 years later, I have friends who've approached me, and I'm not trying to humble brag here, but I have a friend who approached me who's, you know, been in consideration as a GM and said, you know, hey, listen, we'll get you in if, you know, if I get a job. And I really, (laughs) I really struggle with that because I've got independence. I'm making, I'm certainly not rich, but, you know, we live, we live decently and my wife isn't asking me when I'm going to get a job (laughs) anymore. Um, And, you know, have been able to really develop some friendships and some relationships that I don't know that I'd be able to maintain if I'm working for one team. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is build your business, build your agency, build your company as if you don't want to work for anyone else. And then at some point you won't because you will have everything you're looking for by God's grace and you'll, you know, and that will far surpass anything that would come with working for someone else. Now, you know, if someone came in and wrote a big enough check, of course I would put ITL aside, but it'd have to be a tremendous opportunity given the independence that I have right now and you know, the money and all those things would have to line up. And so again, I guess to answer your question, don't just simply pursue working for someone else. Really try to hone your craft. Spend the money that you need to that's smart. Don't but don't overspend and take it a day at a time. Perfect. Do
0: your job the right way and uh, right. The, the right opportunities are going to present themselves. That's I think that's good advice no matter what you're doing right there. Uh, perfect. So uh, last one here, uh, kind of speaking specifically to the agent side, NIL. Obviously, we hear that word all the time. Um, obviously, it's changed the way agents can really communicate, you know, how quickly they can get in with players and, you know, that whole structure. Do you think NIL will continue to allow the bigger agencies an even bigger advantage? Or do you think it's going to allow, again, some of these smaller agents to, you know, compete even more?
1: I think it depends on where you are. Um, if, you're, if you're in uh, Miami, or maybe Washington, D.C., New York City, um, Los Angeles, if you're an agent who's based there and you're recruiting players that are local to you, I think you've got a pretty good opportunity to make NIL a lever that gets you relationships that you need and maybe even get you a little bit of money because it's always good to get paid, <laughs> obviously. Uh, I think those, those are beneficial. If you're outside a major media market, and you're recruiting a kid who's in a school that maybe maybe doesn't have the following of an LSU or an Alabama or an or an Ohio State. I think it's going to be trickier because NILs commission sales and commission sales scare the hell out of people and and rightly so. I mean it's 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 kind of all or nothing. It's all or nothing. It's eat what you kill. And you know, representing players is the same way. It's also commission sales. But I think. In the course of being an agent in the traditional sense, you get more of the trappings of the things you kind of want. You get to talk to scouts, you get to attend all-star games, you get to you know represent players, you get to befriend and work with trainers, you get all the things that you think of when you think of being an agent. When it comes to NIL, it's more about <laughs> just cold calling the crap out of a a city and trying and getting a lot of no's or getting a lot of knock. Uh, no return calls and um, awkward situations that maybe aren't as much a part of traditional NFL agent work. So I think that it's, so I think it kind of comes with a caveat, but at the same time, NIL is unique in that there are (laughs) entire bodies that surround a school that are working to help that want you to succeed. They want you to go out and, do the door knocking and, and, and maybe not, a, maybe you may not even have to do as much door knocking because of the collectives and the marketplaces and all those kind of things that are springing up around schools in an effort to attract big time players with money that they can't just hand them for recruiting. You know, they can't make it that obvious. Yep. So, I mean, I think one of the things that's most exciting about NIL is that it's completely wide open right now. And, and no one really knows what direction it's going to take and, it's certainly ripe for abuse and it's being abused right now, but hopefully at some point there'll be some guardrails that are put up and some walls built and we'll have more rules related to it that are, you know, that cross state lines and cross markets and cross conference lines and all those kind of things. And we'll have a little bit more of an understanding of exactly what's in bounds and what's out of bounds. Uh, but for right now, if you have, the time to do it and you're in the right marketplace, I think it can be a real blessing for you. It's just a matter of kind of figuring it out and everything's got a learning curve. Everyone's going to feel awkward when they're first starting things out. It's just got to go do it, you know? And, you know, if you've got the passion for it, then it can be a win for it. It's uh, certainly going to favor the big agencies already who have the marketing departments and all those kind of things. But, you know, if you, did your research coming, for coming into the game, you knew the big agencies had all the advantages anyway. It's just like being just the, like the traditional agent business, be smart, put one foot in front of the other, have humble goals, but have goals and try to achieve them. And, you know, and maybe even set a, a, a deadline, you know, I'm gonna do this for three years, I'm gonna do it for one year or whatever you're gonna do it. And uh, so that you don't, you know, ruin everything else that you've achieved. Um, you know there's there is such a thing as knowing when to quit obviously but there are a lot of benefits to it we don't know for sure where all it's going to go my gosh we're just in year two but it certainly makes things a lot more interesting and has made made itl a different animal because you know we're we're, we're with everyone else trying to figure this thing out
0: yeah uh, that's exactly right you'll figure it out and they'll change everything so we'll get to figure it all out again and Agents are in the same boat schools and uh, business. It's a, it's a changing landscape. I definitely agree. You, you know, anybody that does the legwork and that's willing to put the work in, you make a phone call, the worst they can tell you is no. Um, Yeah. There's, there's money to be made out there and um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to see players do a little bit of everything. Um, Obviously there's some unique names in college football that have capitalized on it. And uh, you know, there's, out there in Lincoln, Nebraska, everybody knows what I'm talking about with the coldest and uh, that's a fun one there, but uh, certainly great opportunities. So I want to transition now, college gridiron showcase. Tell me about the college gridiron showcase, CGS. What's its background? How were you involved?
1: I think we, I think it's, I think 2015 was the first year of the CGS. And um, I'm not sure (laughs) how I came to be involved. I mean, if, started out with me just going to it Uh, i've been a big fan of the co-founders craig and jose for years and um i think maybe 17 or 18 was the first year that i kind of got involved and we started having well let me back up so craig and jose's vision uh, is to make the cgs kind of a hub for football business and so that really aligns well with what i do and so I kind of saw it as an opportunity to bring in people that were interested in scouting and maybe try to monetize it that way. And so we started having kind of seminars there and you we're know, really blessed. We've had a lot of people who are in the game, who are recently out of the game that have spoken. Uh, and I kind of helped put that together. And then last year we we had something called CGS University, and so we brought in 21 people, I think, uh, who were aspiring scouts, and for two plus days, maybe maybe three plus days, they every night we would have speakers come in, and I you know I would I would find one of the guys that was there and say, hey listen man, could you come in, um, maybe about seven o'clock when you're done, or eight or, or nine or even ten and talk to these guys about scouting and how you broke in and, and all those kind of things. And really what I was doing was what we did really was formalizing what I had been doing for the previous two or three years when I was bring a scout in and speak one year, we had Chris Hall from the Cowboys come and speak one year. We had Mike Charlton for the Vikings. We had Danton Bartow. We've had uh, Sean Heinlein, a whole bunch of different scouts, Bob Morris. And so um, we, you know, we just kind of made that into a more formal uh Program, but the big draw, if you're coming to CGS, and I encourage you to think about it, if it's if scouting is something you want to do, uh, on Sunday we are one thing we really pride ourselves on is when I first started going to All Star games, you know, 20 years ago, you would see scouts standing at the elevator. You know, they go to the team ho- hotel and they stand at the elevator, and then when a kid would come out, you know, they'd be shuffling papers to hand them a questionnaire so they could get it filled out, and and half the time. <laughs> The scout didn't know what the kid looked like, and you know you, you're hoping that he was wearing his Nebraska sweatshirt or whatever, so you kind of figure things out and at least keep you in hand about things. Well, we have made it the player interview process a much more regimented uh, process, and and so we have all the players come in, and sit in a big room, and then we have run, and then we put all of our scouts and all our teams in a separate room, and then we have runners. And so if I'm the Vikings, then I I tell my runner, okay, listen, I want to see this guy, this guy, and this guy. Well, they go to the room and they, they call them and they, you know, maybe they get three of the four because, uh, you know, maybe one of them's already with the Eagles or whatever. And so for nine hours, I think it is, we try to get all their interviews knocked out. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that because it really kind of takes a lot of the guesswork out. And, you know, a lot of scouts will come to an all-star game and they're three, you know, they're, they're on their third day. And they still don't have all their interviews. Well, more often than not, our, our guys, if they get there on time and they, and they take full advantage, they get it all knocked out on that first day. And now they can kind of relax. Some of them, <laughs> not necessarily to our benefit, but they'll leave early because they got other interviews done. So that's what CGSU is. It gives aspiring scouts a chance to work with teams, prove themselves, show them who they are. That's something you don't see very often. You know, normally... Uh, the, the guys that come in and interview with NFL teams more often than not is they made an impression when a scout was making his visit. And sometimes that works, and, but that's a very limited time. If you come and spend nine hours with a team and you're busting your hump that whole time, and then maybe you know we have Monday and Tuesday night sessions as well, sometimes they don't get everything. If you come back and work with them again, you know, you're really going to have a lot of face time with a scout who's going to see how you work. You know, you're kind of being scouted alongside the players. Yeah, And we've seen, I think, two of our, the people that are members of our, our CGSU class, our first one, are with NFL teams now. And uh, one of them I know is ha- 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 Alu, uh who's with the Browns. And I can't remember off the top of my head who the other one is, I feel terrible about that. But we've seen a lot of them get opportunities that they might not have gotten otherwise. And it's a great resume, resume builder to say, hey, I came down here at my own expense. And worked for three days and made contacts and built a network and um, to me there's nothing more impressive than someone who's willing to work for free and if you're starting off in the industry roderick i'm sure you did as well at some point you're gonna work for free you may not feel like you should be working for free you may feel like you're far more qualified than that but i mean god knows i've had a number of of times when i was working for free or even (laughs) it was costing me money to work yeah and um know that's just part of the industry unfortunately
0: Yep, absolutely. Cutting your teeth, showing uh, showing what you're worth without, uh, without getting paid anything. I know I can speak to the CGS. I was down there 2019. Um, the uh, interview portion was fantastic. It was uh, as easy for scouts as any all-star game that I had been to. Um, I mean, how hard those guys and girls down there were working to make sure that the scouts had whatever they needed. Um, it was, it was a tremendous experience and, uh, you know, it was one of the, if, if, uh, everybody would take a piece of that and, uh, that interview, just the interview portion and kind of you know, apply it to what they're doing, um, interviews would be easier everywhere else. Um, mm-hmm where where do you see the CGS going? Do you think it's going to kind of stay the same, you know, focus on the interviews, obviously the on-field portion of what an all-star game is kind of continuing to evolve. Where do you see the CGS going?
1: Well, CGS is on good, uh, a good foundation because of, of Craig and Jose and the fact they're both innovative and they both have a mind for where the industry is going and, and they've been really proactive about those kinds of things. And, and that's why I'm so proud to be part of the CGS. I think that I can't speak to exactly how things will change. I mean, we already have a different format for a number of reasons. We are a game that asks agents and players to help share the expenses of a game because it's incredibly expensive to run this. Now, another thing, I call it a game. It's not. It's really not a game. We don't have a game. What we have is practices that are designed specifically for scouts to see, to be able to evaluate these players and really see what they can do and and, you know, so we're doing one-on-ones. We're doing skeletons. We're doing things that you're not going to always see it on at an all-star game because they got to put special teams in. They got to put an offense in. They got to do all those things associated with having a game. Um, so, what will change? I'm not sure. I, I I can say this: if if the XFL and the USFL have a long run, I think you may see teams start to rely more on those leagues for evaluation and development uh, i think we're already starting to see that a little bit and uh, i think i think that you're still gonna have all-star games cgs isn't going anywhere but i think given now that they have a chance to without even leaving the country be able to see players develop especially younger ones that are still kind of in the form the stages of their career i think you may see a little bit of drift away from that and how will we react to that? I'm not sure. I mean, we already do a veteran, well, we call it a veteran showcase. It's more of a street-free agent showcase. Um, we may start working more with foreign players. That's something we've already done. We had a Japanese player come in a couple of years ago. We've had others that are kind of newer to the game. I could see us developing players that basketball was their first sport maybe because those guys have, Obviously, they've got the the length and the frame and the footwork and all those kind of things you're normally looking for in a tackle or a tight end. And we've even seen some of those players make that transition. Those are possibilities. I, I'm I am uh, part of the brain trust, but I am certainly not the one that makes the decisions at the CGS. That's all up to Jose and Craig. And of course, Jose has been hired as the director of operations. I think for the San Antonio franchise of the XFL. So. He's kind of upward and onward as well he's you know people are recognizing his accomplishments Craig is equally as fundamental to the game as Jose is they're both very hardworking and smart and all those kind of things that, and they've been friends for a long time so uh, I don't know how we'll adapt but we will adapt we'll continue to innovate and uh, I think we're going to be around for a long time
0: yeah well I mean that's the biggest point is the one thing that uh, that CGS you guys have all been willing to show is hey we're going to adjust. Football is changing. All star games are changing. The schedule's changing. You got new leagues coming. Um, you know, making making it right for whatever the current circumstances is is, is uh, definitely going to lead to continued success. Is as, uh, as the CGS sticks around? So, uh, finish up here for those wanting to work in the football world. Obviously, we've hit on it. You know, being able to work work for free. You know, put the legwork in. What's that piece of advice for people that want to get into the football world that whether that's coaching, scouting, um, operations, um, agents, how how do they find their niche, how can they really, uh, really get in and what's your advice warm as we finish up here.
1: The advice that I would give to anyone who's pursuing this, I guess, it's kind of twofold, and one of them I've already kind of hit on. But you're gonna have to work for free at some point. You're gonna have to take some chances. You're gonna have to spend your own money to go places. But if it's the right opportunity, it's worth it. And so I think it's important to kind of set aside your pride, set aside your ego, and be willing to do that. I got a much later start in this industry than most people. Uh, you know, I really didn't even start trying to pursue this until I was late in my 20s, early 30s. I think. Um, you know, I mean, I said earlier that I was 32 when I ran the Louisville, I think I was 40. I was actually a lot, a lot older than that. I think I was 32 when I launched ITL. So, um, be willing to humble yourself. You want to set your ego aside. And the most important thing to me is you got to keep the lights on. I know a lot of people are like, Hey, I've got I've got to pursue my passion. I need to quit my job and just launch this thing, burn my ships behind me. I don't subscribe to that at all. I think you've got to be real about things you've got you know especially if you've got a family if you've got you know any kind of situation uh there and there's no shame in that i mean we do uh a newsletter series for people who are coming up their first year as agents and a lot of those people whose stories i tell they want to say well i'm only an agent and i'm always kind of like are you sure because this is a really expensive industry with a lot of downtime and not a whole lot of money, especially in year one, Mm -hmm. how you're keeping, either you worked for a long time and you just put aside a well of money so you wouldn't have to work. And if you did that, that's probably dumb because you're wasting a lot of time now. Or you may be stretching the truth a little bit. And I think it's really important. Again, that's kind of an ego thing as well. Put that aside, be willing to be that person that is moonlighting, you know? I mean, I didn't get, I didn't start doing ITL full time, nothing else until 2009. And <laughs> the only reason that was because I was working, that was my side side thing But I'd gone back to the Chronicle. I was working the Chronicle and they had they one day they came in on March 24, 2009 and cut 40% of the workforce. And so uh, that was certainly a day that I'll never forget, but at the same time it was the best day of my life professionally, because it was time to find out if I was going to sink or swim with ITL. And I remember my wife. You know, we had, I had two kids and a wife, and every day she's asking me, you know, what are you going to do now? What job are you going to get? And all those kind of things. Not in a bad way. She was scared, and she she had a right to be. But I didn't say it. But I wasn't getting another job. I was going to find out what I had, and you know, did a few little things along the way again to keep the lights on, um, part time stuff and what have you. But at the end of the day, I knew it was time to find out what ITL really was going to be. And by God's grace. It, uh, it turned into something that would sustain our family and and uh, that we could do okay with. And so, uh, you know, where that line is, is different for everybody. That was definitely the time for me. But just remember, you know, put your ego aside, recognize you're going to have to work for free, you're going to give away your talents to someone in order for experience, in order for contacts and build a network, but also do everything you can to have a real job and don't feel ashamed of that. No reason to.
0: Perfect, Neil. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, definitely, you know, expect to have you back on the podcast again at some point in the future. If you have questions for Neil, uh, head on over to Twitter, you can find him at inside the league, uh, you know, hit him your questions there. He'll get on. I'm sure at some point he'll try to get to those. Of course, check out his website inside the league.com and click around there, find out more information, uh, as far as this podcast tomorrow, we will be back with another player report. I am thinking perhaps a running back located somewhere in the state of California. Tune in to hear exactly who head on over to Twitter. Let me know what matchups you're excited about this weekend. What players are you looking forward to watching, whether it's college football or the NFL, keep watching and keep scouting.